Good morning, guys. See, I don't know why they complain. I always get a good response. Kids, you can go ahead and be dismissed to your class. Have fun. I don't see anybody going. Perfect. So this morning, we're going to be in Exodus 23. Uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Uh, and before we get started, um, a few announcements for you guys. One, uh, we have a night of worship, and that's going to be tonight at 5.30. It's at the BCM house. If you don't know where that is, it's right up the road. You pass the Dairy Queen, and it's on the right. So it's about five minutes from here, super close. We're going to have a special time of singing, worship, praying as we praise God together. And second, prayer gathering. We've got that next Sunday, and that'll be at 9 a.m. here right before the service. So it's always also a good time. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our look through the book of Exodus. Uh, and to catch you up, we're in the middle of a section called the Confirmation of the Covenant, right? So the people of Israel, they have been redeemed. They have been brought out of Egypt. The Exodus has actually already happened, uh, and they are gathered together at Mount Sinai so that they can get the rules of the covenant, so they can come and worship God and see who He is, right? And the promises that we see given in this passage is nothing that is new. It is something that we have seen already. It's the repetition of the promises from Abraham, and, and it is this preparation that they are being given to receive this blessing from God, this relationship with God, because this is what they are getting, right? It's more than just a stake of land. It's more than just prime real estate in the Middle East, uh, but this is a place where they can go and dwell with God forever, right? So I'll go ahead and read the passage. I'll pray for us, and we'll get started. So Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33 should be on the screen behind me. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days." I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beast multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for what you've given us. And I just pray that you will speak to us this morning, that uh, I will get out of the way and that we will listen to you and what you have said. And I pray that out of all these things that we will 
conform to your word, that we will listen to your word, that we will become more like you and do as you have commanded us. I pray in these things. Amen. So the main point for this morning is that God blesses those who are faithful and obedient, and those who transgress or rebel against Him will be destroyed, right? And this kind of comes with a big caveat that we'll get into later, but it's important to see that the covenantal blessings are here, right? It's not like a one-for-one trade. It is God is doing these things for Israel, and they in turn must worship and be with Him, right? And the success of all of this, the people of Israel, it depends entirely upon God, It depends on Him to conquer the land, to bless the land, to continue to provide for them. And it is not dependent on their military ability or their strength or their power, right? Because they are going from wilderness to nothing uh, to conquer bigger nations with walls and means of warfare. And there's two ways that we actually see this take place. The first is the angel who goes before Him, and the second is the very act of God fighting for Israel. So look with me at verse 20. This physical representation, this angel that we see, right, that he sends on the way, is not something that is new to Israel. We see the burning bush, we see the cloud, the pillar of fire, the angel that Moses met along the way back to Egypt. Uh, This is something that we see time and time again, this physical representation, this presence of God being with his people. And now the difference between these examples that we have, the cloud, the the other things that we've seen, and the angel is the actual purpose of his presence, right? The cloud was a reminder that God was still with his people. He was shade. He was a direction. He would comfort them in the desert and in the wilderness. Uh, but the angel was there to protect them. He was to fight for them and to lead them to this promised land. And this is not in a passive sense either, right? The angel, think about it like they're police escorts, kind of like when you walk across a parking lot holding your parent's hand, right? Helps you keep from danger. You don't get hit by a car, that kind of thing. And this angel warrior, this one that God has sent for them, led the way entirely until they got to the promised land. If they were going to meet danger, they were going to meet this angel first, right? And the angel that we see uh, has a couple of different identities that uh, we see. A couple of them, some people think it could have been Joshua. doesn't make sense because he stresses that this is an angel. Uh, some people think it could be Jesus himself. This is a possible explanation, but again, we see that this is an angel, right? It says clearly that this is an angel that they were sent, and likely that this was uh, the angel that we see at the beginning of the book of Joshua, right? As Israel comes into the promised land, they meet the commander of the Lord's army, and he speaks for God. He speaks Um, with God's words, His power, His authority has been given to this angel. And that's what we see in verse 21, right? It says, pay careful attention to Him and obey His voice. Do not rebel against Him, for He will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in Him. And that's the important part. My name is in Him. And the presence of this angel, it's not just a messenger like we see in other parts of the Bible, but it has the power and the presence of God. And it really shows this relational concern that God has for His people. He doesn't want them traveling through the wilderness alone. He doesn't want them unprotected, but He wants this guardian to go with them. Uh, And and this was not just meant to be a weapon that they would wield against the Canaanites, but it was a constant reminder that God was with them to help them through this. 
It would help them remember that God had not abandoned them to die, and it would also prepare them to become God's people, right? As well as conquer the land, he was there to help them walk in the commandments of God. It tells them that they will not pardon your transgression. And this, this kind of plays double-sided on the fear, the fear that they would have had for the Canaanites and the fear that they would have had in following the Lord. Imagine waking up every morning to get back on your hike, crossing the desert, knowing that you're going to war, uh, but not having any way to fight these people. That would be terrifying unless you had the divine power of God who conquers everything. And this is the kind of power that we see from the angel. This was the purpose of the angels, so that they could become the people of God, right? This is something that we have seen. If we look back to Exodus 6, he is not taking them just to a new place, but he is taking them to be a new people. He will be their God, and they will be their people. And this is what's going on here, right? If we continue looking at verse 25, we start to see some of the terms of the covenant. He says, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take away sickness from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. And this really spells out the terms of the covenant in kind of a simple way, uh, that God conquers, he takes over, he will bless Israel, and they must in turn worship God, doing all that he commands, not bowing down to other gods, but worshiping him as the one true God. They would be blessed in a land that would always provide. They'd have plenty of water, uh, no sickness, easy-er childbearing, right? They're told that they will not be barren and there will be no miscarriages. Uh, and Israel would receive all these good things if they would just worship God. And the view of this, this view of the covenant can kind of come across transactional at first. It makes it look like a business deal almost, like, I will give you this many acres if you will give me this much worship. But that's not the case that we see here. And if we kind of dive into the different aspects of the covenant and what God has already done and continues to do, we see the opposite, right? So the love God has for his people shows that this is more than just business, God has already done so much for the people of Israel. At the beginning of Exodus, they were slaves, they were beaten, they were put under cruel work and punishment, and God led them out of Egypt. He heard their cries, and He led them out into a place where they could be with Him. They were clueless of who God was. They didn't worship Him as the one true God. Likely, they believed in Egyptian gods or kind of fell into that camp. They didn't know who God was. They were clueless of His name. They just had a remembrance of Him. So he was not under any obligations to free Israel from this slavery, from their bondage. But he did this anyway because of the love that he had for his people. And he continues leading them and bringing them to a better place. He shows that he alone is worthy of their worship and is teaching Israel this. Right? This is true because of, one, his goodness that we've already kind of spelled out and redeeming Israel and setting them free, but also it's true in just his military might. Right? It's kind of a weird thing to think about. We spent a lot of time with this when we were going over the plagues, but the purpose of the plagues was for God to show that he is better than Egyptian gods. He is better than the strongest people out there. And this continues to be true in this passage, right? He's doubling down. He's saying, I'm not just better than Egyptian gods. I'm better than the Canaanite gods. I'm better than these vain idols you worship, these things that will pass away. And he's planning on reminding them of this once again. And he also shows that he is the one God over creation, right? All of these acts of creation that we see in the plagues uh, is something that kind of gets repeated when we go into the promised land. 
He promises that he will use hornets, right? He uses the very act of creation. And if you go to the story of Joshua, where they actually take it in Joshua 10, when Israel finally gets to the promised land, he sees that God sets the very sun still. He makes the day pause. And it's told that more people died from hail that day than they did from the sword. He shows his power over creation as the one true God. And he shows his worth So the covenant that he is giving them is good and right because it is the only covenant that they can make with God. He is the only God to make a covenant with, right? We also see that the laws that they are given was to given them to make them a good nation. The laws from God, they were just, they were righteous. Uh, It would have made them into a generous nation. It would have made them into a good nation, one who followed God and loved his people. And it was helping them live up to this expectation that uh, they had of being God's people. It isn't that they were just given them to blindly follow, but they were given them so that they could become more like Him and be more in the image that He designed them to be. And this kind of reminds me when I was younger and I'd go to the grocery store with my mom. You know, she gives you that little talk before you get out of the car. She's always gave me the same one. Better not embarrass me before we go into the store. Every time. Can't say that I held that true, but what we see here is something similar to that. Sounds silly, uh, but the covenant was meant to help direct Israel so that they could be God's representatives on earth. And this was a huge blessing that they were already given, much less from the land and uh, the good things that God promised, but they were promised that they would be His representatives. And this alone shows that the covenant was worth it in just this blessing. It was designed so that they could bring God's glory to show the nations who God was, why He deserved to be worshipped, and why He was better than all the other gods. And it was through this covenant faithfulness that Israel would show the nations who God really was, is. And this covenant with God was meant to usher them into a relationship with Him. Part of the reason we see that they start getting these commands and this obedience is being desired is so that they can have a deeper communion with God. And this makes sense when you have a relationship and you start building that relationship. More things are to be expected of you, right? When you first start being friends with somebody, you don't have a whole lot that you owe them. But the deeper and the deeper you come to know somebody, uh, the more things that you are expected to do. Right? This is true when, when I first got married, when we first started dating, right? I didn't have anything that I was responsible for, but now I help take care of the house, you know, remaining faithful. Uh, and in this same way, to be God's people, to be in this deep fellowship with God, Israel was expected to be faithful. And like the people of Israel, we must also be walking in this obedient faithfulness with God. If God has already made you to be his people, you have to live up to that expectation of what he has given you. And we see this in other passages. Turn with me to uh, 1 John 1. I'm going to start in verse 5. First John 1, verse 5. This should be on the page behind me, on the screen behind me. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
For us to know God deeply, we cannot be walking in darkness. By walking in this darkness, by walking intentionally in our sin, it puts us away from God. It puts us in opposition to Him. To use some of the language that we see in Exodus here, it puts us in rebellion from Him. And we see that it, uh, this comes as a warning, right? Not to walk like the Canaanites, not to be like the wicked transgressors who God cannot forgive. And to not be in rebellion, but to walk alongside Him. And we see some of those good things that He gives us. He gives us Himself. He gives us uh, not just a place to be, but He gives us a relationship with Him. And if you don't know who God is or you don't believe in Him, then like disobedient Israel or like the Canaanites, uh, you are walking in rebellion. You are walking towards destruction because He cannot forgive transgressions, right? But like Israel, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a guide, a guardian, a protector in Jesus, like the angel, one who went before us to fight and to conquer uh, our sin, to conquer our bondage and our death, so that we can stand before God and come to know Him deeply, so that we can truly follow His commands, so that we can live in communion with Him. And if this is true, if you don't know of these promises or these blessings that uh, we, we'd love to talk to you after. Uh, some of our elders and myself will be off to the side. We pray that you will come and find one of us. But the uncomfortable truth is that this also applies to those who know God. That because we know Him, because we have His commands, we can still walk in our own sin. We can still walk in darkness. And before we continue on, I want to kind of jump back into First John Picking it back up at verse 7, uh, this is the good news that we have for those. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we have made him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments." Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so the warning of Israel should be a warning to us that if we have failed in worshiping God, if we are guilty of trying to replace Him with vain idols or other gods or, you know, acts of creation that we prefer over the Creator, if we try to replace Him with something lesser, uh, that this is the glory, the grace that He has given us, that we have a stand-in, we have Christ who will forgive us of our sins, that we have to uh, confess what we have done and that He will cleanse us with us and help us continue to walk in this now, the reality of this passage and kind of where some of the tension comes in is that we know that Israel, how the rest of the story goes, right? They go into the land, they take it, but they quickly fall short of the decrees that God has given them. They continue to worship the other nations. They 
Let them dwell in the land together. They go against the commands of God, and, uh, and once they inhabit this land, they stop living in this covenant faithfulness. First, Assyria comes in, and they conquer the land, and soon after, Babylon comes in and conquers the rest of the land and takes them into exile, back into another nation, uh, away from this place that God has promised them. We would expect this to be the end of the story, but what we see is the opposite. We see that um, even though they failed, God promised to bring redemption to them. He promised to keep a remnant of Israel and to bring them back into the promised land. And it's important to see this, uh, and it says this in Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. God intended to give them this blessing and this covenant blessing uh, so that they would fail. It's kind of like a if and but, like when you throw a dog toy and they won't give it back to you, but they want you to throw it. It's kind of similar to that, that he expects them to fail and knows that they will fail, and he intends to keep this covenant anyway because of the grace that he has. And it's so important for us to see the failure of Israel so that we can see the grace that God has for them. If they never failed, if they, never, um, got, if they were never forgiven by God, then we would never have Jesus. He never would have given His promised Son and His Redeemer that He said He would. And that's the God that is given this covenant. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that Israel was intended to be faithful towards. And that's what makes it more than just a business-like transaction. It is because of the goodness of who God is and what He has intended for His people and how He continues to hold them and to keep them up. And for those who do not know God, it is important that you see these warnings, that you don't walk in the same way that the Canaanites walk, that you understand that He is more than just uh, vain idols that we can worship. And for those that know God and still struggle in our sin, it is important to know that we have the work of Jesus, that He has gone before us, that He has died and lived for us so that He could cleanse us from our sins and that He can continue to help us walk in fellowship with God. Like the angel who went with Israel, He continues to go with us. He continues to, to protect us and to guide us in all the ways that He is uh, laid out for us so that we can be obedient to His command, so that we can have the blessing of fellowship with God and all the things that that means for us. And so before we enter a time of communion, before we go to the back, we ask that uh, if you do not know God already, we ask that you skip communion, that you come and find somebody to talk to. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about more of who God is and what He means, and we ask that you just skip it this time. But as we go to the table, as we go to remind ourselves of what Christ did, of His death for us, as we take of His body and dip it in the cup, I pray that you will learn to confess your shortcomings where God is convicting you of sin and other uh, failures in your life and because He is a good God who will forgive us, who once we confess of our sins, He will cleanse us with the blood, with the propitiation, the stand-in that we have with Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word and for Your promises and Your faithfulness that You had with Israel. 
And I thank you that even though that we still fail in a lot of these ways, that we don't walk as you expect us to walk and do the things that you expect us to do, that you have the grace to forgive us. And I pray that as we go out from here, that we will remember your commands and remember your blessings and what you have promised, that we will see the goodness that you have and the goodness that you have meant for us. Well, Israel might have failed short and never came to realize the full blessings that you have for them. I pray that we will see you and see who you are and what you have meant for us to be. I pray that you will help us in all of this. pray that you will strengthen us to be obedient to your word and everything that you have called us to be. And I pray that in everything that you will help us along the way, it is only by your strength and by your grace that we can see and follow your commands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.